that sounds like done. that sounds like tattoo from Fantasy Island. The <laughs> <He was> <laughs> plan, the plan. Attention, passengers. We ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. What did Biden say? What did Harris say? What are the polls saying? This is Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host, along with Scott, with Kevin Grout, and Jared Crawford. Hey, Scott. What did Disney say? What did Disney say? We're going to get to that, too. We'll get to that, too. We have, oh, we have a man. jam-packed show. So many various things going on here this week. But uh, Holy cow. To start with, though, certainly, not the least of which, is going to be the confusion I'm gonna. Some people call the Biden gaffes, and of course, that was sort of the you know the the the, the narrative going into this this presidency. But it's it's less about gaffes really than it is about his own administration and his own officials aren't on the same page. Yeah, it it uh, what was it the narrative though? Because when he got elected, remember one of the main slogans was the words of a president matter, <laughs> and they do matter. And I agreed with him. And by the way, more Americans agreed with that. They elected him because they thought, you know what, it is true. The president should be careful what he says. And what what have we gotten for over a year now? A guy who literally can't hold it together, can't stop ad-libbing, and can't stop saying things at the absolute worst time, and a vice president who outdoes him at it every day. It has been the, the biggest, uh, I guess, disappointment in terms of for Joe Biden to be elected as a return to normal or just sort of like calm things down and yeah. sort of be a transition figure. To be boring. I mean, boring, remember, right. rem- remember, part of the theory of their case was, you know, we don't need the presidency in your face 24 hours a day. You shouldn't be having anxiety about it. You know, you shouldn't even have to think about it most days. We're going to run the government and, and you can run your life and get get this whole thing calmed down. It has been the opposite of that. We're all just supposed to forget, let Uncle Joe do his thing. He He's just over there talking, and, you know, don't worry your little heart about it. The stakes are the highest right now, of course, as Ukraine's still under attack by Russia, as Vladimir Putin perhaps is repositioning his, his, his forces. Uh, but this began, you, you might recall, more than a month ago, as those troops were first massing at the border, and even from the very beginning of this crisis, as we're going to hear sort of a compilation of five different Joe Biden sound bites of what is he saying. We'll be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. Mr. President, after everything we've seen, are you ready to call Putin a war criminal? No. Oh, I think he is a war criminal. The president was the president's remarks speak for themselves. Uh, he was speaking from his heart and speaking from what he's seen on television. Could, if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? It would. Re- it would trigger a response in kind. Whether or not you're asking whether NATO would cross. We'd make that decision at the time. But also the average citizen. Look at how they're stepping up. Look at how they're stepping up. And you're going to see when you're there, and some of you have been there, you're going to see, you're going to see women, young people, standing stand in the middle of the front of a damn tank. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. As you know, and as you've heard us say repeatedly, we do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia or anywhere else for that matter. Uh, In this case, as in any case, it's up to 
the people of the country in question. It's up to uh, the Russian people. So there you have it. There is Ukraine and Biden in a minute and a half. And so is it any wonder we're not quite sure where we stand? I mean, this guy gets walked back more than the average terrier. I mean, his, I mean, they got to keep a leash hanging by the door in the White House press room. They got to walk this guy back almost every day. By the way, this is the most consequential thing going on. But think about all the other you know, m- more minor matters that he has said something on where they have immediately had to go out and correct him. And, you know, it's funny, and I guess it hurts him politically, but when you're dealing with matters of state and we've got a global crisis going on, you would like to think the president of the United States is the most credible and listened-to person in the world, right? I mean, you'd like to believe his words carry more weight than anyone else's words. But when he goes out and says, for God's sakes, this man can't remain in power, which, by the way, I think everybody believes that. And then his aides, interestingly, by the way, Kevin, the aide that put the statement out, walking it back, was unnamed. They, didn't, they wouldn't put their own name on it. It was an unnamed statement. So when they go out a few minutes later and say, well, 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 what the president really meant was, it, it, it degrades the value of the words of the president. And that's one thing about the Trump years that I I hated the most it was that basically that he spoke so much and put so little thought into it and and frankly didn't tell the truth so often that it degraded the value of the words of the president. Biden ran against that and now he's doing it. This has real consequences on the world stage. The credibility of the United States is on the line and he's failing. Could you imagine being one of those soldiers in Poland when your commander in chief is standing there telling you when you go to Ukraine? Uh, yeah. And, and how about how about uh, if you're if you're stationed in one of the, uh, the NATO countries over there right now and they say, uh, what if chemical weapons are used and we're going to well, we'll respond in kind. I mean, the I mean, the thought that the commander in chief just said, we're going to launch chemical weapons at the Russians and I'm standing over here in Poland. I mean. Man, that probably sent shivers up somebody's right. spine. Now, with Trump, it was a situation where frequently it was, it was uh, well, I was joking or it was an exaggeration. And you kind of baked into his statements a certain degree of scrutiny to say, or skepticism. He didn't, well, you don't quite know if he actually means it. We're going to wait for someone to actually give that, uh, that explanation later. With Joe Biden, there was, as you've pointed out, this expectation of the words matter. It's, he's a serious person. This is all going to be back to normal. But this is what's unfortunate, though, overall. We desperately needed, as a country, a return to stable. We needed a return to some kind of credibility. And to have two presidents back-to-back now that are completely being run by, and this is, I hate to say it, sort of like some of the conspiracy theories of the last you know, decade or so as far as like the deep state. It's not what the president says. It's what these unnamed people behind the scenes are clarifying. And that gives me a great deal of pause. And it makes you wonder when the president is in a room with an ally or an adversary, will they take his word at face value or will they say, okay, that's that's nice, Mr. President, but let's go check with what your aides really think? Not in the compilation, but something that happened in the last 48 hours was Joe Biden saying out loud that we were training troops, We were that American troops were training Ukrainian soldiers in Poland. Now, as... as Early as a few days ago, we were denying that we were training Ukrainian troops, and and I'm I mean I'm wondering if the president heard that in a classified briefing and couldn't remember 
that that was classified. Don't say this. And said it. Now, that's like something you'd expect Trump to have done. And they accuse Trump of doing things like that all the time. And so here's the deal. Even before all this, there was pretty credible polling out there that a, a significant portion of the American people had concerns about whether Joe Biden was up to this, whether he was in mental decline, cognitive decline. And I... And, you know, look, I'm not an armchair psychologist or whatever, and I'm not an armchair doctor, but you cannot listen to this and listen to the way this is unfolding and conclude everything is fine. At a minimum, things are not fine. And at worst, the President of the United States is having difficulty with his communications faculties at a time when we can't afford it. And what's equally shocking, uh, this isn't my scene red herd, Joe, but I read it this morning. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board asked its readers, please stop sending us letters calling on us to call for Biden to resign because Harris would be worse. We know this is bad, but this is the presidency we're stuck with. Scott, I'll give you a shout out real quick here. Uh, over the weekend, State of the Union uh, with Dana Bash, I believe, was hosting. And Scott was uh, was jetted up to Washington, D.C. to be a part of the program. And uh, I th- and frankly, Scott, your comments, we're going to hear them right now, ended up being quoted far and wide and I think spoke for a lot of Americans. I, how this ends and what happens next. I, I hated it that they walked him back because it's what we all believe. Yeah. Nobody in the United States wants Vladimir Putin to continue to run Russia. And nobody thinks and nobody should think that when this is over, we can go back to like this never happened. I don't know how it's going to end. We can't go back to treating this guy like a legitimate world leader. So the president said what's on all of our hearts. And I do think it was a message for the Russian people. And so when they came in, and they said in the walkback what he meant was, that's not what he meant. That's not what he meant at all. And what he meant is what's in our hearts. And so I understand the geopolitical ramifications. I get it. But at some point, how do you look at what's happening, the slaughter, and say anything other than this man cannot be a world leader the way he is in this format. We cannot allow it. The focus needs What to I appreciate, is Scott, is that the- when we talk about flyover country, oftentimes, it's for, for me, what you're doing here is not just flyover country. It, it is the common sense nature of middle America here that can kind of cut through some of the BS or some of the talking points and strike to the heart of just the reality. This is a reality check that you're offering here versus this sort of this, uh, I don't know what you call it, this, this, this fantasy world of, of what maybe what Vladimir Putin wants to live in, that this is somehow going to end and we're going to kind of return to normal again. No, this is this has changed. And you're picking up on this, I think, ahead of what maybe the intelligentsia is, to borrow a word, uh, uh, of the rest of this uh, geopolitical challenge. I, I think that when the president said he can't remain in power, you know, there were just a few minutes that lapsed between that happening and the staff running out to walk it back. And I guess you could debate about whether ad-libbing that, and he did ad-lib it. It wasn't part of the official text that they had provided we could debate whether that was a gaffe. You know, should the president be ad-libbing this? If you're going to make a consequential statement, maybe you ought to check with your allies. Maybe we ought to think through the ramifications. Perfectly legit debate. Probably you shouldn't. But once the president said it, once he said it, a conversation should have taken place. Is it worse for us to walk this back or should we let it hang? What are the consequences of letting it hang out there? Well, one of the consequences would be the president of the United States is pissed. And he speaks for the rest of the world in realizing the reality, which is we cannot go back. We can't go back to treating Vladimir Putin like, you know, he's one of us because he's clearly separated himself 
from the rest of the rest of the world leadership community. So I just I thought the staff look, I think they frequently overreact to Twitter. So when he said it, what happened? All the blue checks on Twitter. This wasn't in the official text and he's, you know, this is the and so they immediately overreacted to Twitter and instead of taking a beat and saying, "Well, wait a minute. Maybe we ought not go out and degrade the president's ability to hear to inspire the Russian people. We can't really get rid of Vladimir Putin, I guess, but they can. And I don't know. I was thinking about Ronald Reagan calling Russia the evil empire. And I, I read stories about how impactful that was back, you know, back in those days. Well, at some point, the Russian people need to hear somebody say, Vladimir Putin is ruining your future. Did anybody walk back Ronald Reagan saying evil empire? No. I heard your friend, uh, former uh, Democratic uh, Clinton operative from CNN. Karen Finney? No, uh, the, uh, I'll think of his name here in a minute. Consultant to the Clinton back in the day. He was, he was Paul Begala? Paul Begala. Yeah. And he was, he was comparing this moment to evil empire. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's fine as long as the staff doesn't walk it back. That's, right. that's the yeah. point. That's yeah. the point. And so, you know, back then, of course, you know, you didn't have Twitter, you know, going insane uh, the minute that it happened. And so what do you got, Jared? Yeah. I, you know, Scott, you made this point on CNN maybe a month ago with Anderson Cooper of how much – the Biden administration has been compared to Trump, and I think kind of rightfully so on some of these issues. But one of the things that I think flyover country really appreciated about Trump was this. He tells it like it is. Yeah, right. it, it, he gets he, up there. He didn't necessarily. He, cuts through it. He, yeah. he, he wasn't held down yeah. by the staff, by the bureaucracy. Exactly. He wasn't tied down by the way we always do it. Biden just did that. He had an opportunity to kind of break yeah. break that same mold. And he kind of did momentarily, then he was reeled back in very and quickly. So, and so now. And the and I think people hate that. I, I was think a, just, I, that is that is such a good point. And interesting, I was teaching my class uh at the Kennedy School Monday night, and so I so I was talking to my co professor Robbie Mook beforehand. He said, You're crazy. They can't let the president say that. They have to walk it back. You're gonna start World War Three. And so anyway, I was asking the class what they thought, and I had a few you know, subscribers to my theory, and some were against it. But listening in my class Monday was former Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts, you know, 30 years in, in Congress. And so I was I was saying, I don't think the staff should act so quickly to degrade the president. Well, he, in his remarks, said, you know, I heard Scott talking about the staff. You should never attack the staff because the staff can't do anything without authorization from the boss. And so what I, what I would love to know in the postmortem of all this is – what happened in those few minutes when Biden walked off the stage? Who called Joe Biden? Who said, we got to walk you back? And did he fight it or did they sort of overwhelm? I want to know how that went down, because to me, this is actually, to Jared's point, one of the most consequential moments. He could have made something out of it. And instead, he allowed himself to get tied down. And if we take a step back, the Biden administration has already called Putin a war criminal. So what I, I don't and know. we have devastated their country with economic sanctions. I mean, the, the ship has sailed right. on, I, on the I, rhetorical. I don't know when we're going to play nice with him. Are, are you saying, well, he's a war criminal, but we'll we'll keep inviting him to the G20? But part of this, speaking of G20, is a perfect segue because this goes back to Barack Obama and the whole you know lack of American exceptionalism. We are just one of a of a large community of nations, and the Europeanization of America. What I'm saying is here. I think in this situation. Certainly, European capitals and European leaders, yes, they did recoil at that because they're used to what we have been for the last, you know, 15, 16 years, which is to be one of many. Well, Joe Biden 
for a moment there, for several minutes, was reasserting American exceptionalism and American leadership and saying, we are going to stand up to this, and he can't be there anymore. But instead, we became one of many again. And by the way, any individual European leader may feel a little sheepish about saying that because of the, I mean, it's on their doorstep. So that's what. That's so let where, him say it for you. That's just, that is exactly right. This is where the American president can be so useful in leading the West, and that is, I can say things that you can't because we have the power, the authority, and by the way, we're on the other side of the of the earth, and and so they can carp about it and and be upset about it and and worry about the you know the the implications of it. But the overall message is right. The overall message is right, and once it came out of the president's mouth to then degrade it, I just. I think we're going to look back on this and figure and find that this was enormously credibility. You know, Afghanistan was credibility draining. This is another moment where the president's credibility was so drained. And, you know, you got to wonder here if you're Ukraine or any of these NATO countries, when Joe Biden speaks now, you know, in 10 minutes, is, is it still going to stand? And, and that's not a good place to be when you're in a leadership position. I also think it... it- lends itself to more confusion about our role in this, right? Like we've talked about the sending the MiGs versus sending the drones and not sending the drones and all these sorts of things. Vladimir Putin is the bad guy here. Clearly Joe Biden in his whatever state, right? Like in the most real state where he's off the cuff, clearly thinks he's the bad guy. So why aren't we sending all these sorts of things? Again, it lends itself to this idea that like nobody up in the White House has this like, we're on this one path, we're all following this one path, we're all doing it together, one guy's leading the charge. It just is like a more confusion. It, it, it really like did, committee. It, it, it really did create a muddle at a really bad time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Biden is great at creating muddles. The staff <laughs> is great at creating muddles. You, I get, you can have muddles around lesser things. You can't really have a muddle here. I mean, people are dying. Right. And he's on the doorstep of, of the NATO alliance. And the implications of that that could be literally right around the corner, you cannot afford to have anything other than absolute clarity coming from the commander-in-chief. And so I don't know what the next, like, iteration of this is going to be, but I would just, I would I would beg the White House staff, before you run out and degrade the president by walking him back when he says something that's unequivocally true, think about the implications of that. I was thinking about that last week when watching um, PBS NewsHour, one of my favorite shows, uh, with Judy Woodruff. Getting a little wild now. <laughs> turn off the RT. Turn on PBS. <laughs> yeah, stop it now. Anyway, but she was having her, um, the, the, the kind of the one of her political roundtables there with David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart. You'll hear Judy first, then you heard Jonathan Capehart, and then David Brooks. But the, this whole question about Biden's uh, approval rating when it comes to Ukraine and his approval rating overall compared to the individual policies he's trying to implement. A disapproval, 48 percent um, by 11 points. People disapprove of his handling compared to 37 percent approve. Mm-hmm. But when you ask people, what about the specifics of the administration's policy, namely, should we be sending armed forces? 70 percent say no. That's the president's policy. Should we provide weapons? 72 percent say yes. That's the president's policy. Enforce the no-fly zone? 52 percent, small majority, say no. That's the president's policy. So there is a contradiction. Um, What do we make of all this? So this is what drives me crazy about, about public opinion polls, which go beyond just tell me what you think about the president's overall job approval rating. When you get into specific things like well, how's he doing with the war, folks aren't following the war and specific policy things like like we are. So I discount, you know, 
how you're handling the war. You know, we live in a partisan era. Yeah. And you attach the name Biden or Trump or Republican or Democrat to anything, and you get instant uh, opposition. So it's, it's nothing more than a measure of partisanship. The question is, if we were really in trouble, as Jonathan mentioned, something we get to another step in this war, could we unify? So we're just not as resilient a country as we were when you could get beyond party labels. But it is a, it is it is notable uh, that that, they, that there's agreement with the policy. Just as right. you say, not when you attach uh, President Biden's name to it. Thanks for your indulgence here for my PBS NewsHour minute and a half. But but I wanted to hear the whole thing there, and and I edited a little bit of that out of there. But the whole point is, they Scott, we'll start with you, and then Kevin, then Jared. They can't understand why there would be a disapproval of Joe Biden's leadership, and what could it be? in your view, that somehow there would be a disconnect between policy and his actual approval? Well, there's two issues. I mean, they blame it, you know, oh, it's just partisanship. But there's really two issues. One, we've already talked about. It's the communications. I mean, there's there's what you do in public office, and then there's how you communicate. And, you know, we have myriad examples of Joe Biden failing to communicate, Joe Biden communicating incorrectly, Joe Biden gaffing, Joe Biden saying things that are unclear. So I think the communications is is number one. But number two, yes, I think the American people can approve of the individual actions and think that's the right thing to do, but they might also think it wasn't fast enough. And also, look, they're turning on their TV at night, and they're seeing slaughtered Ukrainians all over the street. They're seeing millions of people, refugees now, streaming into other countries. And what are they left to conclude? Well, it's not working. Whatever Joe Biden is saying is not working. And so communications and lack of effectiveness. I mean, Joe Biden has claimed great success here. I've unified the world. You know, we're working with our allies. But to what end? To what end? Yes, the Ukrainians are holding out. People are dying and being slaughtered. People have been run out of their homes. Millions of people are refugees. Cities have been turned to dust and rubble. Does this look like a success to, to the average person? Of course it doesn't. And if you think about the withdrawal from Afghanistan last summer, that was also broadly popular. But I think all the people who wanted it expected you to do it well and didn't expect to see people falling from airplanes on their TV screen. So a difference between, Kevin, uh, communicating what I'm going to do or having a policy and execution because of Afghanistan, I think. No one trusts that whatever Biden says he's going to do is being executed properly. Right. I mean, that he's still suffering under that. Yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about the example of arming the Ukrainians. Like, yeah, sure, you have, but you kind of haven't in some ways, too, right? So, like, you know, polling is you can only ask that kind of simple of a question, right? But we just talked about an example of where that communication from the White House has been super muddy and not clear on what they're actually doing. Also, people aren't stupid and they have some memories I mean, let's not forget Joe Biden last year for an entire year or over a year since the beginning of his presidency through January was pursuing a policy of appeasement with Russia. We lifted the sanctions on the pipeline. It was Biden and the Senate Democrats who refused to go along with sanctions in January as they were massing troops at the Ukrainian border. We have been on a policy of appeasement. And, the, and yes, we're doing the right things now. But even Zelensky has pointed this out. You know, he has said it was too late. And so the American people can say, yes, I'm glad we're sending them weapons now. But the question wasn't asked, do you agree with the appeasement policies of last year? Because I'm guessing now there's broad disapproval of that. If I could, the one word I think that sums all that up 
is competence. Competence. Is, and that's where, and competence breeds confidence. Mm. And you actually have a lot of leeway as a leader if you are generally competent and you're, and you confidently and, and cohesively communicate a lot of C's there for you, uh, because the, the people, the American people will in fact allow you some, uh, failures, if you will, some, some, uh, setbacks. If you're still, if you've clearly communicated with the direction that you're going, you have a reason for doing it. And the problem is all of this, this push and pull and this clawing it back and not quite sure what we're doing. Afghanistan was unfortunately set the tone for all of this. I, I, I don't know how he can claw himself away from the overall poll numbers. I, his poll approval ratings keep falling in his second year. 40% of Americans approving of the job he's doing in a new NBC News survey. That was NBC. Quinnipiac is out today. He's in the 30s. Lots of threes. Uh, uh, there was another uh, another big survey that came out yesterday. It was in the 30s. I mean, it's ugly. I mean, it is ugly for him right now. And, and it's not just Ukraine. I mean, inflation is also driving this. But but nothing, by the way, remember, right after the State of the Union, the, the 48 hours of Democrats claiming that he was rebounding, rebounding. He's not rebounding. He's worse off now than he was before the State of the Union. So I just I, I think the competence issue you raised, Joe, is is absolutely correct because I think there's now an expectation of incompetence. Right. And and again, I just look, pe- people are what do you see? And that's what you believe. You turn on your TV and you see people dying and you see people fleeing and you assume we're incompetent. You turn on you, you know, you get in your car and you drive down the street, and you see four fifty gas and you assume, man, somebody's screwing up. And so it, it's it's just it's the it's the it's the real it's the reality of the world we live in versus how they want to paint it. It's the same crap Trump runs into on January sixth. You cannot tell people, oh, it's just a few tourists, when there's literal video of people beating the crap out of police officers. You can't tell people something. You can't make them disbelieve something they've seen with their own eyes. We're seeing with our own eyes the results of Biden. So is there any wonder that his job approval is falling? Yeah, Joe, you mentioned that word competence. I would I, I would venture to say that competence was the only mandate that Joe Biden had. Right, right. Um, and, I, and, and frankly, I think cons- a lot of conservatives I knew, a lot of people who had voted Republican their whole life, they were fine with that They because, like, the, the economy had been pretty good. I mean, you know, coronavirus obviously changed a lot of that. But there there wasn't a, a mandate for a large policy kind of going into the Biden presidency it just was competency and the and and what i've seen more on on social media take that for for granted is this you know the the only defense of this is well trump had all these gaffes if you're if you're only if your bar <laughs> for biden is trump he is failing frankly regardless of of how you feel about him either of those those presidents personally if that's your bar, well, Trump also did it. He, he's he's done for, okay? Because that was the only bar he set for himself, and he's not hitting it. The other thing is, though, but to your point, uh, a little bit of a counterbalance to your point, Scott, about like your eyes don't deceive you as far as some of the horrible things going on in the world. There have been great leaders who have led during horrible times and have still been great leaders. I mean, regardless of what you think about what FDR did you know, as far as the uh, the bureaucracy of our nation, extending the Great Depression, and right, right. Yeah, but, but I'm saying is, but welfare state, but but I'm saying is beyond <laughs> that. Put all that aside is what he said. My point being, as far as what my grandparents thought about him and what he meant to the American people at that time, he was that voice. 
and he was clear. You can disagree with him all you want, but this is a, as an exercise of competency and leadership. For that matter, fast forwarding to, you know, we'll go past World War II and Winston Churchill and go to Vladimir Zelensky. I mean, his country is literally falling apart all around him, you know, and there are people who could certainly question, is this worth it? Yeah. Are we are we dying in vain? Are you putting us through hell for the sake of what? But for whatever, but he has that singular purpose, and he has that competence and that communication ability to be able to say this is this this is what we believe in. As a result, you follow him. Here's a thought exercise on what major issue that is driving sort of the national mood right now has Joe Biden clearly communicated. He's had his issues with with the facts and with the timeline and with sort of the situation with inflation. Remember, oh, it's temporary. It's transitory. No major economist thinks we're going to have any inflation. He's had his issues on immigration, you know, misstating or understating the, the crisis at the border. We just heard from, you know, the clips we heard, all of his communications issues on Ukraine. So if you look at the major issues of the day, energy. I mean, what what do you say about it? COVID. He has had on every major Supreme Court, maybe. I mean, the fact that he's he had he had a mission going in. I'm talking about the issues that are driving. Okay, fair enough. I mean, what are the most important issues in the country right now? Inflation, Ukraine, immigration, crime, crime, quality of life. I mean, Supreme Court. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, Judge Jackson's family. That's their number one issue, and that's about it. I mean, so but you think about all the things that are driving the political conversation. The communications failures mm-hmm. and of Joe Biden on every single one. So even if even if inside of any of that you could point to a policy that might be acceptable, the communications around it have been miserable. And so I guess I guess when we look back on these first two years after the Republicans went in the midterms, it, it's going to be a failure of policy. But but right on top of it is a failure of just Joe Biden failing to communicate his leadership to the American people. What's Joe saying? What's Kamala saying? Kevin? What is she talking about? <laughs> All right. I, I, uh, Do we have a jingle for this yet? Uh, no. It's but Kevin's quiz. <laughs> after, after last week's resounding success of the Supreme we Court We loved quiz, your quiz last week. Uh, well, I, you said it was a Supreme Court quiz, and then one of the answers was Judge Judy. Justice so you confused Judy. me. Judy. <laughs> That's true. I was the same thing. I was I'm like, like, I hadn't heard of that one. <laughs> I mean, how did we have, by the way, where was Judge Wapner? You didn't even have him in there. Next time. All right. Next time there's a Supreme Court opening. We'll get yeah, there. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll hold off on that. Don't, don't you put that out there, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so today, uh, what is she talking about with our special guest, Vice President Kamala Harris? I have four video clips for you. and Which is amazing on an audio podcast. <laughs> Poor audio clips. You're going to turn Kevin into a game show host yet. (laughs) That's right. This is great. This is the spring training of game show hosts. Uh, And it's now it's time for Kevin's quiz. (laughs) Kevin's quiz is brought to you by Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Here's your host, Kevin Grout. Thank you. That that was a good applause. Uh, So, so you're going to hear hear only uh, the clip, and you are to tell me either what the heck she's talking about. Or what question is she trying to answer? All right. All right. Love it. All right. Number one. Let's start again. With us in government, we campaign with the plan. Uppercase T, uppercase P. The plan. And then the environment is such that we're expected to defend the plan. 
even when the first time we roll it out, there may be some glitches and it's time to reevaluate and then do it again. I okay, now I'm going to take this one because I'm a bit of a Kamala aficionado. I watch everything she says very calmly, yes, very carefully. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know what she, I don't know. In the spirit of the game show, I don't know what she was talking about, but I know where she was. And, and was she in France? She was in France. And when she was like, the plan, the plan, I believe she was channeling a French accent. So I don't know what she was that talking about. Like, that sounds like, about. that sounds like tattoo from Fantasy Island. The <laughs> <He was> plan, the <laughs> plan. But I believe she, for a moment, thought she was speaking French. To the French people who would assemble. I believe that's what was. That's exactly right. Uh, after. Ah. Yeah, give him a point, Crawford. A but what, what was the question? Do you have a ding? Yeah, but. Dude, I bought this board. Like, it's like a $10,000 piece of equipment. You tell me there's not a. Yes! Oh. <laughs> uh, so after President Biden had horribly offended the French, uh, they dispatched, of all people, Vice President Harris to go fix the problem. She was at the Pasteur Institute talking to scientists about how, if only policymaking was done like a science. Love it. Also, uh, didn't they have to walk this back too? Like, didn't they come out and say, no, she actually didn't try to... Speak French? Yeah, speak French or something like that. Like, if yeah. I remember correctly. She doesn't actually know French. She wasn't trying to speak French. This was another example of them, like, afterwards being like, no, actually, uh, Vice President did not attempt to speak in a French they accent. They only heard in a French accent. She wasn't speaking. I will French say, accent. though, before we get to clip number two from Kevin's quiz, is that it's not the first politician to put on an accent of the region they're visiting. It happens all the time in the southern United States. I'm sorry, What? <laughs> It happens all the time in the southern U.S. where politicians come into the south and they suddenly put on a southern accent. They do? Yes. You've, you haven't heard that before? I mean, like, I've heard Hillary Clinton do that. Before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's not all the time. But, okay. But, okay, 20 years ago. Although, wasn't there, like, a, a football coach during this last who got hired? Yeah, uh, who was that? Uh, Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He, and he went down there LSU. and was like, I'm so glad to be down here with all y'all shit kickers. <laughs> I mean, basically. I'm like, who you. are you? That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, give him a promotion. Call him vice president. This Kevin, is, this Kevin's is quiz number two. Number two, and this is a bit more of a deep cut. This is uh... deep cut. <laughs> deep cut. <laughs> this is uh... side is, B. Is America ready for that? No. no. Well, the are. That's so, it. That's it. Just, just a. I can't name that comma in more than three notes. What is that? <laughs> Play it again. Play it again. Let's hear that. Focused on our campaign. Is is America ready for that? No. no. Well, the are. I mean, I mean, is we going back to 2020 here? Yeah. This yeah. Is, I thought, I thought, I during the campaign. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, man, you stumped me. Yeah, well, tell us. So bom, bom, she's actually bom. trying to answer her own question on this one. <laughs> oh, okay. This is October of 2019. She's asking a, her own rally in Nevada. If America is ready for a president who looks like her, and they answer her question, no. no. <laughs> she suspended her campaign two months later. Oh. There it is. <laughs> I like it that you're figuring this out on the fly. <laughs> Kevin quiz number three. All right, this one's a slightly more recent. I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or 
photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinko's. There's no Office Max near that. So this has to be her discussing voter ID around the voting, so-called voting rights bill that she was supposedly pushing and the idea of, I guess, using voter ID for mail-in ballots? Exactly. Hey! Yep. She is speaking with Soledad O'Brien about yeah. those poor, By poor people. By the way, Soledad, you follow, you follow her on Twitter. She's a special kind of crazy, but anyway. <laughs> Just man alive. So if you what are, happened to her? She if, was a serious person. If you're in she went to Kinko's country, in Tallahassee. <laughs> if you're in Flyover Country and know of a Kinko's, take a picture, tweet us, because uh, there are some of them. All right. This is this Kamala. Is, it should be noted did a great job getting the uh, voting rights, <laughs> getting the voting rights across the line for Joe Biden. Kevin Quiz number four. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day, it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. And so, right now, we know we still have. A number of people that that is in the million. Does he has to be COVID related? If you can figure out what she's talking about, congratulations, you win the game. Yes, it's, it's COVID related. COVID it's related. COVID. She, thing, she now, was asked if it's time for the White House to update its COVID strategy, and her answer, if we need to listen to it again, the time is now to keep doing exactly what we're doing. <laughs> Just a master communicator. Mm, all right, what's the next one? That's it. That is it. Good job. I like this game better than the Supreme Court game. Yeah, that's very good. I like this. And by the way, you probably have 10,000 more clips. We could do this forever on this podcast. And so. uh, just for the vice president, we'll play a little laughter. <laughs> Naturally, because we don't know what to say. All right, all right. Tone it down. How much did you spend for that board, Scott? It's like 100 grand. <laughs> I'm afraid. We don't have a winner ding, but we do have a loser horn. You and the government procurement office need to talk about your $5,000 toilet. All right, so you have uh, – let's go back to the Supreme Court here for a moment here. Let's go back to uh, Susan Collins voting to confirm yep. Katanji Brown-Jackson. So kind of a uh, – so it will be a bipartisan vote now. What's this say about uh, – obviously we know she's going to be confirmed anyway. And who's left? Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski, I guess, are left. My instinct is – one or both will go for this on the grounds that she's qualified and 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 that's what they're looking for. And for Murkowski, you know, she's in an interesting situation in Alaska. Uh, obviously, she's up for re-election, but they've got the ranked choice voting up there. Trump is all in against her for Chewbacca, which every time I say just makes me laugh at the thought of Chewbacca running for the United States Senate. I mean, he'd probably be a compelling candidate. Anyway... Uh, it's a Star Wars character, by the way, Joe. Just <laughs> you can't undercount Senator Murkowski's ability to win in Alaska. She won on a write-in ballot, spelling convincing Alaskans yeah. to spell the name Murkowski. The question is, uh, I, this was actually the uh, I give my students uh, a writing prompt every week. This was last week's writing prompt, and the question was, should Murkowski vote to confirm or not to confirm? Most of them concluded, and I think correctly. That she might as well go ahead and vote to confirm because, you know, voting against isn't going to reel in the MAGA crowd, isn't going to call off the Trump dogs. So you might as well continue to be authentic to your brand, which is that moderate, you know, um, you know, non-MAGA, you know, sort of kind of independent voice. I mean, that's what she's trying to cultivate as a brand. Putting this vote in the yes column would be on brand for that. And in the ranked choice system, 
you know, you can get votes from all over the, the ideological spectrum. Now, Leader McConnell uh, of the, the Republicans, obviously, uh, gave a speech about this and talked about, I think his deal breaker on uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson was her unwillingness to uh, to commit to a uh, not packing the court. Yeah, she that t- was pretty much yeah. what what it was there. However, both of Kevin and Scott have known uh, uh, Mitch McConnell for a long time. He is someone who is not personally aggrieved by any of these senators going their own way on this. Which is, I mean, he might want to hold his, his caucus together, but I'm saying is there's some freedom within the Republicans to be able to do and follow your own conscience here for your own political. I think sake. that's right, especially when they're up for re-election. He'll he'll say, you know, vote what's what's going to help you back home. And with Senator Mikowski, I think you know that could be stay true to yourself. With Senator Collins, I think that certainly is. I think I think Senator Collins has voted for every uh, Supreme Court nominee that's been before her in her time in the Senate, so might as well keep the train rolling. Also, the stakes here are really low. I mean, she's right. going to, even if no Republicans vote, yes, she's going to get 50-plus Kamala. And so, um, and so it, the stakes it, are low. It does prevent Kamala from having to cast a tie-breaking vote. Yeah, but, but, it, but for any individual Republican senator, if you felt like you were Murkowski and you needed it, right. you think it helps you to do it, you know, why not? And so McConnell's point on the court packing was interesting, and it makes me wonder what he might have done or said had she committed to the Ginsburg-Briar line, which is that nine is enough. I uh, thought probably was an unforced error, although, again, the White House didn't need to cultivate Republican votes because they can do whatever they want to do. I've, I've heard some conservatives say that they're intrigued by Jackson because of her comments about her views on originalism in the hearings. Right. And, 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 the, and the theory goes like, well, if there's even a 1% chance that she might surprise us with a ruling here or there on original intent, original language in the Constitution, then, then it, it might be better than what you might have expected, which is a 0% chance that Biden would ever send somebody. I also think this. Oftentimes, I think in our sort of just political punditry you know, zeitgeist, there's, a, there's like a, uh, a knee-jerk view that African Americans are more liberal than they really are. Right. I mean, th- this is the thing. She may not be as liberal as, as, as the knee-jerk punditry might suggest because oftentimes African American Democrats do skew a little more conservative in their voting patterns. We found this out in the Democratic primary in South Carolina when they went for Joe Biden, of course, uh, uh, and, and saved his campaign. And so it may be, and she talked a lot in her hearing about her faith and how important that is to her and her family. I mean, she said a lot of things that that made that made me think. You know what? There might be something in there that will surprise us somewhere down the line. I'm guessing 99% of the time she's going to do what you would expect a liberal appointee to do. But but hope springs eternal. Maybe there's maybe there's a decision or two in there we'll like. But as far as the institution is, itself is concerned, that's the concern of McConnell and others is sure. in terms of whether it will be intact as that nine member. Which br- brings me to the other challenge uh, or Supreme Court controversy of this past week. And that is this movement afoot by some progressives to impeach Clarence Thomas and remove the only African-American currently on the court. The issue with Clarence Thomas is this week that his wife, Jenny Thomas, who's a well-known conservative activist, uh, is, is found to have sent several text messages to the White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, and others, I guess, uh, around the issue of January 6th and asking the Trump White House to essentially do everything possible to keep Donald Trump in power. So this is an interesting situation because the Supreme Court does not have 
a, a board of ethics or an overseer that governs it. And it's up to each individual justice to decide recusal issues. Right. We trust them all to do that. We trusted Ruth Bader Ginsburg to do that when her husband was at a big law firm. He was a massive tax lawyer, and they had, and you know, they clearly made some money off cases that went before the Supreme Court. There have been other instances at the at the appellate level where um, uh, you've had prominent uh, liberal judges whose spouses have either worked on or said things publicly on big issues like gay marriage in California and Trump's taxes in the D.C. Circuit. No recusals. And so Justice Kagan didn't recuse herself from the Obamacare cases, even though she was the solicitor general who helped write the strategy before that of the cases. And that's and that's her prerogative. We trust these these people are confirmed by the Senate and they're vetted. And one of the reasons that they go through such a thorough vetting is because they hold such a high position of trust. This is one of the biggest deals is that you have to police yourself. So why is it why is it that we trust everybody on the Supreme Court? except for Clarence Thomas, to police these ethics issues. Now, at the time when Joe Biden is making a huge deal about putting an African-American on the Supreme Court, why is it Democrats don't trust the only African-American currently on the Supreme Court with these matters of ethics when there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever he's done anything wrong or that he's ever had anything other than exemplary record of, of uh, abiding by the ethics you would expect out of a Supreme Court justice. Back when this all started, when he, his confirmation was going on, there was this, you know, a, a movement afoot. Oh, he'll, he's just uh, Justice Scalia's bootlicker. He'll do whatever Scalia says. You know, he, he can't be trusted to think for himself. It's the same garbage now. What is it, Democrats, you think, Joe, Kevin, Jared, have against this particular man, Clarence? What is it about him that causes them to think, think that, he man. can't think for himself? He's not smart. He's not ethical. What could it be? Because if the shoe were on the other foot, you know exactly what they would be saying if we were making these claims about someone uh, like Clarence Thomas if they were on the left. So I think it's despicable. I think Clarence Thomas ought to be trusted to do what's right. And if he thinks he needs to recuse, so be it. And if he doesn't, we have to trust him to make that decision. By the way, one final thought on this. Jenny Thomas is a private citizen. She's allowed to have opinions. And she's allowed to express those opinions. By the way, I think her opinions are bat crap crazy. I mean, I mean, I don't agree with any of this. It's conspiracy theory stuff. I know a lot of people do. I don't. And so I don't. Everything she has said, I find to be kind of candidly abhorrent. I think this is all kind of nuts. But at the same time, I trust Clarence Thomas, and I think everybody else should too. And I think Democrats ought to take a long, hard look about why is it? Why is it? that they're questioning the only black guy on the Supreme Court in a way they wouldn't question anybody else. Yeah, Clarence Thomas has said this about himself, uh, and the left has been trying to do this since his uh, confirmation hearings. He was the wrong black man. It's the same reason they don't believe Daniel Cameron is a black man. It's the same reason they don't believe Tim Scott is. They don't fit what they believe should be their perceived agenda, and so they don't acknowledge them. And look, frankly, the left has been trying to has been going at Clarence Thomas for for decades, for for years, because they, he does not fit their mold. This this feels a little bit like another kind of boy who cried wolf. Um, and it's just it's completely unserious. I mean, and it's, it's another ugly tactic. You know, the week after he got out of the hospital, I think we talked about it on the pod last week when he was in the hospital, all the terrible tweets people, from people praying for his the, death. Right. Right. It, 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 I mean, here's the bottom line. 
If you are an African-American in the United States and you get out of line, and by get out of line I mean go off, go off script and think for yourself and decide that you're a conservative, if you stick your head up out of that ditch, these, these liberals, these people on the left will immediately move on you. They will immediately move to shoot it off. Before we move on from this, I did have a little daydream here. Just think, okay, let's just say they did impeach Clarence Thomas on the House. So Be my of, guess. Because they could. What would that mean? And frankly, I thought about this, too. For all the African-American conservatives out there yeah. who might be looking for an opening to say, okay, you've gone one step too far. Like, to your point, Scott, bring it on. Yeah, I mean, you know, but there, there is part of me that would love to see these lunatics come after somebody of high character like Clarence Thomas because it would prove once and for all just how depraved they are and just how honorable he is. And it would also prove that all they really care about when it comes to African Americans is obedience. It's obedience. And if you get out of line, they come for you. And the more people find that out, and you're seeing it in the polling, African Americans are coming towards the Republican Party. And I think it's over stuff like this. They're tired of being taken for granted. They're tired of being told to sit down and shut up and vote the way we tell you. They're sick of it. And this is another example of them saying, if you're black in this country and you get out of line and you don't have the exact orthodox that we tell you to have, we're going to ruin your life. And it's hateful, and people don't like it. If you don't vote, vote if you don't vote Democrat, you're not black. To That's quote, what to, to paraphrase to Joe, quote Biden. Joe Biden. To That's quote right. Joe Biden. They're also telling this highly accomplished woman in her own right that she's supposed to sit at home just because her husband has a job on the Supreme Court. I mean, again, if the shoes were on the other foot, could you imagine what would happen if a Republican were saying that this woman shouldn't be able to hold a job? For those people who pay attention to male and female roles. Speaking of which, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Oh, I am your roundtable host. You've done it Joe now. Arnold. You've done What's it now. What's what I do wrong? Lady, I don't, all I said was, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You've done. It. You're never going to work that summer job at Disney. Your dream. What I, oh, Disney. That's right. <laughs> your dream of that's being right. a summer associate at Disneyland is over. Is it over? It's over, buddy. Sorry. Did I just cancel myself by simply saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Who do we think <laughs> Joe would play at Disney? Like, what character is Joe? I'd be the mayor on Main Street. <laughs> the, the mayor. No, no, we'd stick him back in one in the Star Wars section yeah. and put one of these alien costumes on him. And like, so just so all summer, he'd be like, I don't know what I am. I don't know who this is. What are these things on my head? Why am I covered in hair? But I think I'll growl at children now. <laughs> so we, we've heard the, about the don't say gay so, so-called law in, in Florida. And as a result of all this controversy going on there and this, this war between Disney and its, its employees and the state of Florida... Uh, then, then is revealed. Actually, it's a fairly old video, apparently from last year. But the video by uh, Vivian Ware, who's Disney's diversity and inclusion manager, d- d- declared uh, on this this uh, this private video that the the phrase "ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls" would be scrubbed from the uh, from the theme park empire. There, Jared, we have I know we have the videos, but before oh. before you play them, just tell. 
tell people where they can find this, the, the, the guy that, that, that digs this stuff up, because he did a ton of great work on the critical race theory stuff in Virginia, and now he's on the, the case at Disney. Yeah, so Christopher Rufo, who is a researcher at the Manhattan Institute and, and does some other freelance stuff too, he really, probably him and James Lindsay, uh, people know the, the book Cynical Theories, were, were really led the charge against the critical race theory stuff and exposed this stuff in schools, and he has taken this on. In fact, Rufo, probably a year ago, exposed some of this DEI training at Disney and some of these other large corporations. And so he's a real digger on this stuff. I mean, he is always finding this. And so, yeah, Christopher Rufo, it's, it's on his Twitter. I imagine it's on his, on his website too. But if you're looking for somebody to follow, to, to follow some of this like woke corporate type stuff, Rufo's the, is the best at it by far. So this is a video that he unearthed from last year after this controversy uh, raised its head this past week. I'm here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child, um, and and also as a leader. Um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations and um, I feel a responsibility to speak, um, not just for myself, but for them, uh, to all of us. We, we had a we had an open forum last week at 20th where, um, again, the home of, of really incredible groundbreaking LGBTQIA stories over the years where um, one of our execs stood up and said, you know, we only have a handful of queer leads in our content. And I went, what? I, that can't be true, and I and I and I realized, oh, it it actually is true. We have many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories, and 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 yet we don't have enough leads um, and narratives in which gay characters just just get to be characters, um, and and not have to be about gay stories. And so um, that's been very eye opening for me. Um, and, and I, I can tell you, um, it's something that I feel perhaps had this moment not happened. Um, I, as a leader and me, as my colleagues would not have focused on and, and going forward, um, I I certainly will be more so I know that we will be. And, um, and I hope this is a moment where shoot, um, the 50% of the tears, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) are coming, um, uh, we don't. We just don't allow each other to go backwards. This is Disney, huh? This is Disney. That, by the way, that was one of several videos from this this meeting that he uncovered. I mean, there's there's others that that are even more stark than that about what they're planning to do uh, at Disney with the programming and with what you're going to see at the parks. And um, it you know it it, it represents a sharp turn to the left uh, for a lot of uh, people who, you know, Disney is such a huge part of the lives of so many families, not just because of the traditional Disney characters. They now own Star Wars. They own Marvel. I mean, th- this is this is massive part of our culture. And if you go and listen to these videos that were unearthed, it, it is, I mean, if you're worried about your children being indoctrinated with left woke culture, uh, Looks like I Disney's mean, the place to go. I mean, well, who, I mean, but who's in who who is in front of your kids more than Disney outside of you as a parent? I mean, not many people. You know, you think about. I mean, and, and I 
don't remember the first year. I, I never went to Disney as a child just because we didn't travel much as a family growing up. But we took my kids there uh, as, you know, elementary school and kind of the age you think of, especially Disney World and Disneyland, where it's more of this, the it's the fairy tales. You know, it's it is the things that it, but it's, it well, is it's an escape. Right. Too, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. It's a very good point. It, it's it's imagineering or whatever you want to call it. It, it is it is a complete opportunity just to kind of lose yourself in that in that world, and and for this now to become some laboratory for some other agenda is 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 not just um, disappointing, but it's 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 alarming to me. The the, the Disney CEO got in huge trouble. <clears throat> on this don't say so-called don't say gay bill in Florida when he tried to intervene and sort of threaten Ron DeSantis into to dropping it or vetoing it. And of course, DeSantis then made an example out of him and ended up signing the bill into law this week. I can't, I mean, if, if the Disney CEO were trying to help Ron DeSantis become president of the United States, I can't imagine he could have done anything more than he's done because he had been a donor to Ron DeSantis. And DeSantis stood up to him and and made an example out of him. And I'm standing up for your kids and for your families and 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 so on. It it, it it's really it, there's a couple of things going on. One, people who have enormous influence over our culture taking a sharp turn to the left. Number two, the semantics around this so-called "don't say gay" bill um, and the way it was portrayed by the media was completely false. Number three, the 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 um, the polling on this is interesting. When you actually read the actual text of the bill to people, it's overwhelmingly popular. People don't want any adults, teachers or otherwise, talking to their six-year-old about sex of any kind. Isn't this only through like third grade? Yes. So this is a whole other story. And I and I guess this and this is the great divide, though, too, of of our nation. I I don't want. I've got kids in this age range. I do not want other adults, any adults. In school or anywhere else, having sexual conversations with my young kids, it's not their place. And I, I mean, look, what are we supposed to be doing in school? <laughs> learning how to read, learning how to write, learning how to do math. What in the world would prompt a kindergarten, a first grade teacher to start discussing sexual orientation with kids that young, I can't imagine it. Yeah, I have been really frustrated in the way that the media has portrayed this bill and just just taken on the narrative that it's the don't say gay bill, right? Like uh, at the Oscars the other night, the them getting up there and going gay, 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 gay. The word gay is not even mentioned in this bill, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. I, I think there's probably a lot of people uh, on the maybe woke or the LGBT community who are, who are good hearted in their attempts to reform or whatever, the people who who are behind this and who have portrayed this bill in the wrong ways, some anti-LGBT bill, uh, it, it framed it as is you know wanting to hate these kids, to make them bullied, to make them want to you know hurt all these things is is absolutely ridiculous. It's dangerous. I mean, this is such a common sense bill for for parents' rights. Frankly, it is offensive to me the people that have framed this as this don't say gay, this anti. I mean, it's it's really offensive. To it's me. it's just quickly. It's a lot like what happened in Georgia That's last that, year yeah, on the voting rights. We talked about it on the on the pod a few times. But what the way the Georgia voting laws were described were totally made up. It was completely made up. Georgia got more liberal voting laws than several states in the Northeast. But to hear them tell it. 
It was that no nobody other than uh, Democrat, uh, Republicans were ever going to be allowed to vote in Georgia again. It was a complete fabrication. They've done the same thing here. And so an industry that is suffering so mightily in its own credibility, I think, is falling on its face again on this issue. As these giant corporations who, by all intents and purposes, have not read the bill themselves, come in and you know release these statements to placate their employees or That's a small it. segment of their customers or something, but it's probably employees. it's probably the employees. There, There is one, I, I mentioned it, and I'll just read it to you, uh, a, a firm that, uh, a great Republican polling firm, Public Opinion Strategies, and the principal there, Robert Blizzard, a, a good friend of ours here at the show, uh, did a national survey on this. And here was, they read the actual language of the bill of the Florida law, and here were the, here were the results. Overall, the Florida law, was supported by 61% of Americans versus just 26% against. Republicans, 74, 23 against. Democrats, 55 for it, 29 against. Independents, 58 for it, 26 against. Parents, 67% support, 24 against. People who know someone who is LGBTQ support it, 61 yes. 28 no. Wow. It was broadly popular, and all they had to do was read, read the, the bill. actual bill to the people on the phone. I think what happens is that people look for validation or some kind of, of affirmation from legislation for their own personal lives. We, I want you to do something which makes me feel good about myself. And this is the part where I think if, if, if you're a teacher and you feel that you need some validation from a second grader, about what you do in your personal life, you're a selfish person. You are, you are taking you are you you are taking your own personal life crusade concerns anxieties whatever they are, and you're projecting them upon a child, and having that child. Be, I should be allowed to talk about my personal life and my personal choices to this elementary school person. And I'm saying, and and to Jared's point before, and in the process basically put myself between that child and that child's parents who should be the people who are instructing them and giving them any kind of guidance about the world. That is a selfish, selfish, selfish view. How much of this has to do with the the, the left worldview that parents actually shouldn't have exactly as much influence control. or a control? We can't trust those parents. In fact, it happened before. We've seen other situations where basically – the counselors have said, we're not going to tell the parents yeah. because we don't know how the parents are going to respond and, right. and, and, to a 10-year-old's concerns. So when you approach these conversations with that mindset, you can see you can see how a bill like this would be problematic for you because you, you think you should be doing more to, to, to indoctrinate children about these kinds of personal issues than actual parents should. So I... I think fundamentally, more than just this one bill, that's that's kind of what's at play here, is who is in charge of these kids, who is supposed to be influencing these kids, and, and, and again, it gets back to this fundamental political question that's going to be played out this fall. Who's fighting for parents, and who's fighting against them and i think you're going to see republicans drive this point home yeah i'm i'm frankly done thinking that these people are ignorant i i believe they are malicious i, I believe the people that push these things the ibram kendis the, the kimberly crenshaw's when it comes to crt and you know some of the other people who have pushed this this uh this sort of sex ed young sex ed type stuff I think they are malicious. I think they want to indoctrinate these children. I think they want to create the next generation of social justice warriors. 
Uh, Christopher Rufo, to, to an earlier point, wrote about this in Portland with these sort of child social justice warriors who were in the streets uh, during the Black Lives Matter stuff. I mean, aggressive, aggressive, uh, you know, woke ideologies, not liberals, not li- not even classical, like not in the any sense. In these fact, are, they're illiberal. I yes, mean, yes. I mean, what they're they're training people to not just believe certain yeah, things to shut them down, but to absolutely I, shut out any other any other I, public debate about absolutely. this at all. And these are going to be the same people who wanted to shut down schools for two years, still have kids in masks in schools. It's why they don't want transparency bills right. for correct. I mean, I believe these people are malicious. I think it was ignorance at some point that, no, critical race theory is only taught in colleges. No, I, I think these people are malicious. I think this we is saw deliberate. We in Virginia. Yes. I, I, parents are going to stand And we up. need to keep these people out of our schools. We need to keep them away from our children. And, look, that doesn't mean we, you know, there's some other things on the right, too, that worry me. We should teach about the Holocaust. We should teach about the, the you know, massacre of Black Wall Street. But not in second grade. No. And, and, and these sorts of things. Yes, these, we should have wholehearted history education. But the people who have pushed these, these woke curriculums are malicious. Well, as a political matter, people in middle America are on fire about this. Right. Every parent I know, people are on fire about this. And, and it is going to be a voting matter. But also, look, the San Francisco school board was, was tossed not too long ago. Uh, obviously, it was a big issue in the Virginia governor's race, uh, even in the even in the liberal suburbs outside of Washington D.C. It really seems to me that the progressive left has drastically miscalculated on all of this. And this week, uh, I know it's not it's not on our agenda, but I'll just briefly mention it. You know, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the leader of of this sort of wing of the of their party, said, you know. Whoa, it seems to me Democrats are in trouble in the midterm. And her prescription, of course, was we just haven't gone far enough. And so to the people that we're discussing right now, there won't be a moment of self-reflection. Oh, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we're out of step with America. It'll be these idiots just don't get it. We've got to go farther. Which is why you have to impeach Clarence Thomas, because that's the only way you can you have to change the rules to, in order to make that happen. 100%. Thank this God. That, I know I say it every week. Thank God that, for the filibuster. That, that <laughs> illiberal approach, too, right? That that you, you break down the system. I mean, this is the postmodern thinking. We could do three yeah. episodes on this. But you break down the systems and you rebuild it in your image. This is that illiberal vein that I think is growing. By the way, Kevin mentioned the word masks. Uh-oh. There's the threat. 21 attorneys general, including Kentucky's Daniel Cameron. We're recording this on Wednesday night, uh, March 30th at 1030 in the evening, Eastern Daylight Time in, in the state of Kentucky, where Daniel Cameron is one of those attorneys general who who asked a U.S. judge to block the COVID-19 mandate requiring masks on airplanes and other forms of transportation. Scott, this has been a, a long crusade for you. Is, it, is, it, is our long national nightmare <laughs> almost over? I don't know. I'm, I'm so glad. A lot of flyover AGs in this letter with Daniel, and uh, thank God for them because they're, they're, they're standing up here to do something about this before it takes hold forever. I mean, we're still taking our shoes off for no reason in airports 20-something years later. No reason. No reason at all. You know, they're still patting people down. You know, we haven't done the whole abolish the TSA in a while, but after <laughs> Actually, some of the... You do it every week. Well, <laughs> after I will just tell you, after some of the experiences I had this last week, I mean, my God, it is just... And by the way, airports are packed. The airlines haven't restored all the schedules yet. Airports are packed. Planes are packed. Tensions are high. 
Anxiety is high. And, and by the way, there's a lot of people in airports who haven't flown or haven't flown in a while. Right. And so a lot of what's going on in there, and then you throw the mask thing on top of it. So last week it was the airline CEOs who are begging Biden to kill this mask mandate. Now you have all these attorneys general. I'm still stunned he didn't do it at the State of the Union. Right. Uh, it would be... Well, first of all, he can't get any. He can't even get any juice out of the out of it now. It's too late. It's too late. Everybody knows it's time, and they won't take it off. So I, I just find it amazing that clip you played. If you haven't been in an airport lately, they literally continually read a threat over the microphone. If you don't put your mask on, we will bar you from ever flying again. They threaten you, and I have to. Let, I'm in airports weekly, multiple airports weekly, as you all know, and. I got and it makes me matter and matter and matter every time I hear it, and uh, I hear it a lot. Well, we're going to unfortunately be living this, I think, for years to an extent because even after the point where let's hope let's hope that this actually will end now, but there there still will be a lot of shaming going on, right. and and which is why I said a long time ago, mind your own business. If you, you know, want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, you don't. But don't say anything else to the other person who makes a personal choice. I got to tell you though, man. Some some people have been convinced of things that, I mean, I, I'm just going to tell you. There was a, a person on an airplane in my row this the other day, three masks, three masks, and a face shield in an airplane, which has cleaner air than the average operating room at a hospital. Now, I look, I'm, you know, they can do whatever they want to do, but what world did we build that convinced that person that's what they had to do. I just, I just, I feel like we have really messed with There's been, there, there will be some hysteria and mental illness for a long time in this country. Three masks gave that person and a face shield. plus and an extra right. peanut. Three masks and a face shield. It's been a longer version than usual, but a great one of Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Before we head out the door, a uh, little scene red herd. You got anything for me this week, Kevin? Yeah, uh, this this week in uh, the U.S. Capitol, they paid tribute to the former dean of the House, Representative Don Young, who passed oh, away. Oh, good one, good one, Kev. Uh, and Roll Call published a piece, obviously paying tribute to Don Young, but also announcing the new dean of the House, Hal Rogers. Hey, Kentucky. of Kentucky. Kentucky. That's, That's right. right. Uh, so he he attributes it to, and this is uh, his word, his stick-to-itiveness. Which I think is a a great word. Uh, I'll attribute it to Hal Rogers' radio voice. <laughs> you know, we didn't talk much about the slap this week, but speaking oh, we speaking of uh, people who once threatened and and sort of attacked other people, Don Young, Don Young. famously yeah. once put a knife to the throat a of John Boehner. Right. Uh, so he was kind of he was kind of assailing people before Will Smith made it cool. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a comparison I did not see coming. <laughs> you got anything for us this week, Scott? Yeah, I'm watching the uh, HBO series called Winning Time about the rise of the Los Angeles Lakers in the 1980s under new owner Dr. Jerry Buss, played by John C. Riley, who was brilliant in this. It is an HBO show. This is not a family show. Uh, there are well, neither is Disney. That's all this. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot going on in this thing. But if you, if you're sort of fascinated by, you know, interesting characters, Dr. Jerry Buss was a character. Uh, Magic Johnson was a character. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a character. I mean, there's all these characters, and of course, the Lakers were one of the winningest franchises of the 1980s. And so, winning time. I guess they can't call it Showtime, which is what it was, because there's a rival network (laughs) called Showtime. (laughs) So they called it Winning Time. 
and I haven't picked up the book that it's based on, but I'm going to. But it's it's a few episodes in. I've watched them all, and it's 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 really fascinating. Speaking of basketball, I'll, before we get to Gerald, I'll give you my uh, scene read heard this past week. I was promoting. Uh, I work for the Kentucky Electric Cooperatives, and we publish Kentucky Living Magazine. We were doing a little uh, media tour to to promote our Best in Kentucky contest, which is yeah. if, you're, if you're hearing this on Thursday, the thirty. 30- First of March, you still have today to register on KentuckyLiving.com. But anyway, I was on uh, WKYT TV, and who should I run into but Dave Baker? Oh, Dave uh, of of UK Wildcat fame and big and, fan of the show, friend, and, friend and, of the show. And at the end of the interview, he says, "By the way, Joe, before you go, have to ask you about flyover country. <laughs> you, we got to get Dave in here." Yeah, and uh, I, I I mentioned that. So Dave, if, I, if thanks for downloading and listening. You are hereby invited to We're, be a uh, a potter. We got the, we got to get Dave on the on the big famous panel. Yeah, yeah, love it. So looking forward to that, Dave. But thanks for saying hello, um, Joe. A couple weeks ago, I think you kind of complained about some of the MLB rule changes and oh, these sorts of things. Start. Oh, so man. I I'm, I'm going to leave that he, he aside complained. and complain about the NFL rule changes. They they made some changes this week to the overtime possession rule. So if people didn't know. Uh, before, if you score a touchdown right away, you won the game. The other team didn't have a chance to possess the ball, which, of course, if you play defense, you do have a chance to possess the ball. <laughs> um, and so I looked this up because I was interested in, in uh, like, the why. You know, is there actually a problem here? Since 2012, which is when this new overtime rule was, you used to be able to kick a field goal and then you had to score a touchdown. Teams that won the coin toss in overtime won 50% of the time. It was exactly. literally 50 It was literally down Seriously. the middle. In the playoffs, which is what this rule change actually affects, a so regular season's the same, there's been 12 overtime games. Only seven of those have they been won by the op- on the opening Wait, possession. Wait, they're going to have different rules for, for playoffs and regular that's... season? Yes, yes. Man, that's weird. Um, play it one way and then play it another. Yeah, I, I, I don't... Of course, like, of course, in our favorite sport, they're about they're fixing to move second base. I'm ready to give up on all of it. I, I just see this as like a move away from competition and towards fairness in sports. I, I don't really like it. Everyone wins. Um, I, I will. Everyone say, gets a trophy. Yeah. <laughs> the last I will say this: the vote in favor of this was was 29 to three. If Coach Belichick was one of those votes in favor of it, forget everything I just said. Completely agree it's the best role. <laughs> well, the problem is is that some of the folks who run these sports, including baseball and football, you get so far beyond the actual love of the game. And because of the business and the gimmicks and yeah. the ways you try to tweak it for what one reason or you, you you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And the people who run these sports don't love these sports. And that's the problem. That's why you need a fan to be somewhere involved in one of some of these conversations. Joe Arnold for Commissioner of Baseball. I'm running for it, man. That's what I'm doing. Every major league player would be would be wearing handlebar mustaches, <laughs> stirrups, <laughs> stirrups. <laughs> eating a hot dog. Pine tar's legal. You gotta have chewing tobacco. <laughs> I like. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like banning okay. the shift. The last thing I'll say, then I'll turn it over to Scott to take his own podcast home. <laughs> is that despite the fact that I think the, the designated hitter is a, an abomination for the sport, what I did say a long time ago, I said, if they do this, the least they can do, because this, this, this whole rule is to give extra life to aging, overweight, past-their-prime players. You should, uh, love, you should love this rule. Exactly. <laughs> I, said, first of all, I said, first of all, I relate to this greatly. And secondly, sign Albert Pujols for the Cardinals. And they did it. And they, they did. did it. They so. did it. Albert, come right, back Scott, today. Take, yes. us, take us home. All right. Thanks for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. We appreciate your uh, 
downloading. Give us the ratings uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you tell your friends. Post it on your social media. Contact the show. Uh, we're uh, at Flyover Pod on uh, Twitter. So get in touch with us if you've got ideas for the show. We're going to have a few more interviews coming up. we got to get back on the interview bandwagon. I've got a couple of ideas. I'm going to interview you. You're going to interview me, uh, and that's going to be amazing. Next week we are... Uh, it is going to be amazing. Next week, we are going to be on sabbatical for the pod. We are going on spring break. Woo! I've got, uh, boy, I'm going from one. I'm going from here to Boston to San Diego to here. I got a lot. I got a lot to do next week, and uh, you've got you've got some travel, Joe. But we're going to post. Uh, you're going to interview me, and then we'll get back to the pod the week after that and get some more interviews in the can. But we're enormously grateful for everyone. I, by the way, I continue to run into people. Out there who are like, man, I like your podcast. I downloaded your podcast. And so folks are listening, and uh, and we're grateful for you all. And again, thanks to Kevin. Thanks to Jared. Thanks to Scott. I'm Joe Arnold. And thanks for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.